You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for your grace afresh this morning as we turn to a well-known passage of Scripture and undoubtedly is well-known to many of us. Uh, Maybe it is brand new to some of us, Father. Whatever the case may be, Father, whether we know it well or we don't know it well, we are equally uh, uh, humbled before you, Father, and we equally need your grace in order to understand this passage, in order to see it as heaven sees it in order to see it as you see it, in order to see what Luke is trying to show us, and to see what the angel Gabriel has come to announce, all the same to see uh, what the Holy Spirit is teaching us, all the same to see what you, O Father, have revealed. So, Father, we pray that you would be pleased, O Lord, to teach us and show us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Last week in our study of verses 5 through 25, we saw that God had broken over 400 years of prophetic silence. And I brought to your attention that oftentimes uh, we can complete our reading of the Old Testament. Uh, We'll finish Malachi 4 and we turn from Malachi 4 to Matthew or we turn from Malachi 4 to Mark or Luke or John and we really have just turned the page, if you will. Uh, But in actuality, we have, in turning that page, covered a span of over 400 years. Um, 400 years of uh, what we call prophetic silence. But last week, we saw that by the sending of Gabriel, God has broken this 400 years of silence and Gabriel comes to an unknown priest named Zechariah and he announces that uh, he will be, uh, he and his wife Elizabeth will be with child. Uh, 
And um, uh, this is a remarkable blessing. We, we saw that Zechariah and Elizabeth are quite elderly at this point. And, you know, we had to surmise that they had probably undoubtedly prayed for many, many years uh, for children. And for a woman in this culture to be without child was uh, really one of the most disgraceful things that, uh, that women could go through. It was absolutely disgraceful and humiliating for children to be with, for, for women to, to not be able to have children in this culture. And Gabriel comes to Zechariah and says, you, you know, you're soon going to be uh, with child. And undoubtedly in their old age, they would realize a dream that they had probably wrote off uh, as something that wasn't meant to be. And furthermore, we saw that the son would, who we know would come to be known as John the Baptist. Uh, we saw that the son would be great. Uh, he would be the forerunner of Christ Jesus. He was uh, promised in fulfillment of many Old Testament passages, one of which we looked at last week, Malachi 3 and verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger and he will, what? He will prepare the way before me. Um, another one would be Matthew chapter, or Malachi 4. He would be God's instrument to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and hearts of children to their fathers. Now, we can only imagine what, Zechari- what it must have been like for Zechariah. He's in the holy place. He's offering incense. This is the high point of his, uh, of his priestly career. Very few priests would ever be uh, permitted to be able to go into the holy place and offer uh, incense. Uh, Zechariah is in the midst of the, of the high point of his career as a priest. And while he's in there, he has these wonderful announcements made to him. Uh, by Gabriel. It's hard for us to imagine what he was experiencing. And one of the things I wanted to point out to you last week was that Luke is very careful to be sure that he shows that this story takes place in history, a particular time and a particular place. Uh, Verse five takes place in the days of Herod. Uh, And through the narrative, we see that the setting for this uh, for this uh, story is in the temple of the Lord. It is in Jerusalem, a particular time, a particular place. Why is that so important? Because many have treated this passage as if it is mythology or as if it is some kind of fairy tale. It's not one of those once upon a time in a faraway land. Uh, there lived a uh, priest named Zechariah. That's not how this goes. And one of the reasons why this passage is so attacked is because it is so central to the gospel message, isn't it? It is so central. The more central a passage of Scripture is to the gospel, the more it will be assaulted by the world, uh, by the evil one. You can, you can count on it. And it suffered many, many assaults that way. Now, when we come to verse 26, we have another visitation, don't we? You know, there's been 400 years of silence, and now here, with the, probably within the time frame of about seven months, we have two angelic visits. And again, what is Luke telling us? First order of business. He tells us that this takes place in the sixth month. You see what Luke is doing? He's telling us that this also is taking place in a particular time. In the sixth month. Well, okay, we ask ourselves in the sixth month of what? Verse 36, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's. 
pregnancy. She's now been pregnant for six months in that approximate time. Now, I presume that some time passed before Elizabeth conceived, and we know that Elizabeth, uh, she hid herself for five months afterwards, didn't she? I, I don't know. I mean, it's only a guess. We don't know how much time elapsed between age, uh, Gabriel's first visit and his second visit. Perhaps it was uh, seven months. I don't know. I, I presume it, it took a little bit of time for uh, Elizabeth to conceive after the announcement was made uh, to Zechariah. Uh, it's not that important, but we could say probably, we know at least a minimum of six months has transpired, and uh, that is the particular time. We also see in verse 26 that it's a particular place. Notice Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named what? Named Nazareth. A city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, in the eyes of the world, is Nazareth a great place? I mean, it's like, you know, uh, does AAA have like a special on a, on a tour to Nazareth? You know, um, would anybody be getting their loved ones for Christmas, you know, a, a vacation stay for two in Nazareth? No. No. And, and how do we know this? Well, we know this from John's gospel for starters. I mean, Philip has discovered Jesus, right? And he goes and he tells Nathaniel in John chapter one, we have this story recorded for us. He goes to Nathaniel and he says, quote, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. He's all excited, you know, he's all excited. And Nathaniel skeptically responds in these famous words, verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? This sentiment undoubtedly expressed the common attitude towards Nazareth. And we really have an important lesson already. We could make application of this already. Um, in the eyes of the world, this is a despised place. But is that the way heaven sees it? No. In the eyes of the world, this is not a very impressive place. In the eyes of the world, it's not a very desirable place. But in the eyes of Scripture, we could look at Isaiah 9 and verse 1. You don't need to turn there, but listen. There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish in the former time. He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Or verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You know, Gabriel is dispatched to a place that is despised by the Lord, or by the world rather, I'm sorry. But it is a place that is viewed very highly in the eyes of heaven. And the lesson for us here is that um, we have a tendency, don't we, to look at things through the eyes of the world. If you find that you're getting discouraged, I know as I find when I'm getting discouraged, I can almost be rest assured, almost I'd say 100% of the time, that I'm walking on that path of viewing everything through the lenses of the world. Viewing things the way the world views things. Viewing things the way the world values things and not the way heaven views things. Does that make sense? 
So if you find you're getting discouraged, you, you, you just might also discover you're walking on that road. Um, more about this in a few minutes. Verse 27, um, who is Gabriel come to meet? Verse 27 answers, a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Well, who is Gabriel come to see? A princess? Kylie likes princesses. Little girls love princesses, don't they? They do, don't they? Oh, little princess. And their little imaginations, you know, they just, they just, it's fun to watch them, isn't it? They love princesses. Is, has Gabriel come to the palace of a king and queen to see a princess? No. Has Gabriel come to uh, visit the, uh, the palace of the high priest? Maybe to pay a visit to his daughter or to pay a visit to his wife? No. No. Um, has he come to visit a celebrity? No, 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 right? No. No. In fact, he's been dispatched to what could possibly be the, the, the opposite, to an obscure peasant girl who's probably at this point in time not much older than 15 years old. She could have been as young as 13. We're not really sure. Betrothed, we know from the text that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph, but the word betrothed is really foreign to us. How many of you used the word betrothed in the last week more than one time? (laughs) I take it the chuckles mean no, none, (laughs) right? Um, Did you hear about Larry and Sue? They've been betrothed. What? What? Now, we'd say they've been engaged. Larry and Sue have been engaged. What's that mean? Well, that means that somewhere in, their, in the privacy of their, of their, um, of their relationship, uh, you know, Larry asks Susie for her hand. Um, is that um, engagement legal and binding in our culture? No. No, it could be dissolved at any time. Um, That's not the way the betrothal in this culture worked. The betrothal actually required witnesses. There was a ceremony and it required a divorce to nullify. That's why in Matthew chapter one, we find Joseph, um, after he learns of Mary's pregnancy, we find him uh, contemplating divorcing her. They haven't been married yet. They've been betrothed. A betrothal was a formal engagement that required divorce to nullify. Um, And you have to, you know, when you read that passage, we're not on that passage this morning, but just on the side, when you read that passage, you know, you you have to think where Joseph's at. I mean, Mary disappears for three months down to visit her relatives and she comes back and she's pregnant, you know. Um, More about that in a few minutes. Um, We know from Luke's text that Mary and Joseph's marriage has not been consummated because Luke tells us she is still a virgin. And Luke also provides us with a significant detail in the verse. He tells us that Joseph is of the lineage of David. Now, is that something that's valued by the world? If Joseph would run around and say, hey, you know, I'm uh, actually... uh, 
you know who my great granddaddy is? It's King David. Uh, if he would run around saying that, would that? If he went through the McDonald's drive-through window and said, "Hey, uh, uh, free coffee for the house of David," they'd say, "Your coffee's free when you give us a dollar." <laughs> right? I know some of those girls down there. I know that's what they would say. Some of them tell us to go home when we go down there. So I'm sure that's what they would say down there. Um, you know, uh, that's just there's no currency in the eyes of the world. This uh, this is meaningless. It's despicable. It's uh, it has no currency. But in the eyes of an angel, these are things that angels long to look into, aren't they? Yes. More about this in a few minutes. Verse twenty eight. And Gabriel comes to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. We need to pay careful attention to these words. Gabriel says greetings. The word is kaira, the Greek word kaira. Kaira. Um, it means uh, rejoice. It means uh, uh, be glad. Uh, greetings is a great translation of that word. O favored one. A favored one is one we need to pay attention to. It's a little phrase. There's not always a, an English word uh, waiting to be translated by a Greek word. So sometimes when you translate Greek words, you have to translate Greek words into phrases. A favored one. What does that mean? Well, uh, Lonida um, uh, is very helpful here. Uh, in Lo- the Lonida lexicon, it says it means, quote, to show kindness to someone with the implication of graciousness on the part of the one showing kindness. Now, when I was writing that in here, I was thinking, now, Rick, you're going to have to, don't don't go past this one too fast. You know, put yourself in the congregation situation, sitting there listening to that quote. Are you going to get that? I doubt it. Um, let me do it a couple of times because this is so very important. To show, uh, to show kindness to someone. Easy enough, right? With the implication that the one who is showing the kindness is acting graciously in showing that kindness. Now, why is that so important? It's important because we need to understand that Mary is the one receiving grace. She's not the one bestowing it. That is so very important. She is receiving grace. She is not bestowing it. More about that in a couple minutes. Gabriel says, uh, Lord, the Lord is with you. Now, of course, we know that this means that Mary is going to be the recipient of God's special favor. Now, in verse 29, we see the reaction of Mary to this. Verse 29, she's greatly troubled, isn't she? She's greatly troubled at the saying and tries to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Now, you know, she's can imagine when you were 13, 14, maybe 15 years of age, and this is all happening to you. Uh, you know, I think sometimes we hear this story so much, we don't get, we don't get into the narrative. We don't get into the story. Um, there would be a lot of confusion, uh, I think. Uh, you know, listen, this kind of stuff don't happen to me. I'm not a princess. You know, I'm not a princess. I'm not the daughter of the high priest. I'm, I'm this small-time peasant girl. What in the world could this all be about? And obviously she's afraid. Why is she afraid? Well, she's afraid for the same reason Zechariah was afraid. 
Why is Zechariah afraid? For the same reason Isaiah was afraid. Why was Isaiah afraid? For the same reason Moses was afraid. Whenever they came into contact with either the Lord or with uh, one of the sinless angels that accompany and attend the Lord. In this case, Mary's in the presence of Gabriel, who's an angel. He tells us in his discourse with Zechariah that he stands in the immediate presence of God. He's a sinless creature standing before Mary, undoubtedly reflecting the glory of God in such an acute way. What is that going to do to you? It's going to sift all your stuff to the surface, isn't it? It's going to sift all your stuff to the surface. And that's scary, isn't it? All this stuff we try to keep hidden that we don't want anyone to know about is all rushing to the surface. Like Zechariah, Isaiah, Moses, and Abraham, Mary is a person of high moral character. Very much. But like Zechariah, Isaiah, Moses, and all of the rest of the saints of the Old Testament, Mary is also a sinner, isn't she? In need of redemption, right? That's what really makes verse 30 so amazing. Gabriel, he reaches, he comforts her. Look at verse, look at those, could you imagine hearing these words? I mean, you're, 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 you're seeing Gabriel and you're hearing Gabriel speak. I don't know what that will sound like. I'm thinking that would be something to hear. And you're scared out of your wits. You're confused. And then you hear him say, don't be afraid. I can't help but to think that the compassion in, in that voice would have just been something to hear. Don't be afraid. For you have found favor with God. Isn't that a beautiful verse? You have found favor with God. I mean, it expresses God's love. It, it expresses His grace. Sometimes we hear God's grace is explained as, you know, unmerited favor. That warms us up for what grace is, but that's not, a, that's not exactly... Uh, a, a, listen, if you're in a theological seminary, don't put that down as your, as your answer. That, that won't get you the full score because it gets you started. It is God's favor, unmerited favor. But what we fail to see sometimes is it is God's favor towards those not just those who haven't earned the favor. It's God's favor towards those who actually deserve the complete opposite. It's when God reaches down and pulls, and when God comes to us in grace, He's coming to a group of people that deserve the exact opposite. We deserve judgment. And until we understand that, we don't get grace. We can say, well, grace is God's unmerited favor. We can say that all day long. But... That's that's just not enough. Grace is when we receive God's favor when all along we've been jumping up and down, rebelling against Him in all kind of ways. We're receiving the exact opposite of what we should be receiving. That's grace. That's grace. Without the Holy Spirit, we'll rail against this. Gabriel continues in verse 31. He says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call His name Jesus. Again, imagine the passion in Gabriel's voice. You know, some of you have told me, I like to listen to such and such because they're so passionate about what they speak about, you know. 
And that's true, isn't it? When you, you know, when you're, you know, if, if I was preaching like this and I was just saying, okay, let's everybody turn to verse 32. And what's in verse 30? That's terrible, isn't it? I mean, are you, are you passionate about what you're speaking about or not? You know, um, incidentally, he's in really bad shape right now, but one of, a, a person who I have learned so much from is Dr. R.C. Sproul, and I know many of you have learned. He's currently in ICU down in, uh, I think in Sanford, um, Florida, uh, not doing so good. Uh, but uh, the passion in his preaching, you know, the passion that's in it. If men are capable of that kind of passion, what do you think Mary is experiencing? Do you think Gabriel is passionate about this message? Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And imagine the adoration. And I think the, probably the, the, the best part of it is imagine the awe as he utters the name that is above all names. Imagine the awe as he says, you will bear a son and you will call him Jesus. That's Jesus. The way he would say that name. Verse 32, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. Verse 33, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom. There will be no end. How's Mary respond to that? Verse 34, Mary says to Gabriel, how will this be since I'm a virgin? You know, people in Mary's day understood something that we understand today. Okay, some of you are smiling. Um, uh, ladies don't become pregnant by themselves. Um, Mary is like, she understands this and it's clear. It's First of all, let's get this out of the way. It's clear she's not acting in unbelief the way Zechariah did, is she? Zechariah says to Gabriel, how can I know this word? How can I know this will come to be? How, how can I know that this will happen? Uh, and of course, he's rebuked. He's he's rendered silent, isn't he? But but Mary's not asking that. Mary's asking like, how's this going to work? I mean, how's this how's this going to work? She, how can I become pregnant when I've never known a man? This is not unbelief. She just really wants to know how this is going to work. I, I have a I have a line here. It says, "Ladies, my guess is you get this one." Again, we can think of this. Is this going to be an easy walk for Mary? There's no way. Imagine, put yourself in Mary. You're you're 14 years old. You're 15 years old. You're being told that you're going to conceive and have a child. How's Aunt Martha going to take this news? Is she going to believe you? No, she's not going to believe you. She's not going to believe you. I mean, no one's going to believe you. And the more passionate you are about maintaining this, the more they're going to start to think you've just believed your lie so long that it's made you crazy. I think we forget about that. Um, They're going to think she's crazy. Um, But look at the grace that Gabriel... Look look, look at verse 35. Gabriel, Gabriel answers Mary. He says, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. What a mysterious answer is that, huh? But how could it not be mysterious? 
How could it not be mysterious? It has to be a mysterious answer. You know, the scriptures invite us to, to go a little further. There's a third principle of, in, of, of interpretation that I've, I've never introduced that I want to start introducing to you. And it's called parallelism. How many have heard of parallelism? It's very, it's very common in scriptures. I'm going to show you there's a case of it right here. Look at verse 35. The Holy Spirit, see that? Will come upon you. In your mind, put up a table. Right? Draw a line straight down in your mind and draw two lines across. On the left, top, Holy Spirit. Okay? On the right top will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Got that? Now on the next line, power the most high. Bottom left. Okay? Right, bottom right, will overshadow you. See the parallelism? The Holy Spirit, power of the Most High are in parallel with each other. Will come upon you and overshadow you. Parallel. Now, what's so significant about that? Well, what's significant about that is the Holy Spirit, okay, the parallelism here, the Holy Spirit will be bringing the power of the Most High. He will come upon Mary. He will overshadow her. And if we think back to the beginning of our reading of the Bible, maybe to chapter 1 of Genesis and verse 2, we might think of that, of what's going on in, in that verse. I'll read it for you. There the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was what? Hovering over the face of the deep. What is he doing there? God is saying, let there be. And the Holy Spirit is hovering over with his creative power. Uh, very much uh, creating the things that the Father decrees to be created. The whole Trinity is involved in creation, isn't it? And in the same way, the Father has said, let there be, and the Holy Spirit is hovering or overshadowing Mary and recreating humanity. Isn't that something? That's breathtaking. It's breathtaking. The Holy Spirit will overshadow her, cover her with the same creative power. This is big time, especially when we consider, okay, what is going on here? The second person of the Trinity is going to take on human flesh. This is no small time announcement. No, no small time announcement. This is hard stopping stuff. And we can't begin to imagine what Mary is experiencing. Gabriel comforts Mary with some encouragement. Verse 36. Listen to this beautiful encouragement. He says, Behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age is also conceived. You know, you, know, you remember Elizabeth? They've been trying to have kids forever. Um, she's conceived. Uh, and in, this is the sixth month of her pregnancy. What's Gabriel doing here? He's encouraging Mary. He's strengthening her faith. He's strengthening her faith in the miracle that's going to take place in her by pointing to a miracle that has taken place in Elizabeth. You see? That's a common practice in the Scriptures. You know? 
Our, our faith is strengthened in God's promises as we look back at the fulfillment of His promises, isn't it? And is it not? It's just absolutely beautiful. Uh, this is awesome grace. And you never hear me use the word. How many times have you heard me use the word awesome when I've been talking and calming? You don't hear me use that word, do you? Because I don't use that word. You know, pizza, I don't care how good it is. It's not awesome. Pizza is not awesome. Everybody got that? I don't care how good. It's good. It can be very good, but it's not awesome. This is awesome. We got to save a word for this. We just have to save a word for this. I'm not trying to sound like some snooty English teacher or something, but we do need to save the word for this, don't we? This is awesome. This is awesome. Gabriel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. And how's Mary respond to that? Verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary believes, doesn't she? Let it be to me according to your word. Okay. I've got a lot of stuff that I said more about later. I don't hopefully remember all this so I don't shortchange anybody. Let's start putting all this together. What's going on here? What, what is happening here? What is Luke trying to show us? What is Luke trying to show us? Uh, well, well, how do we answer such a question? Uh, our first rule of interpretation, what is it? Context, context, and context, right? What is the context? Remember verse 3? Remember verse 4? Luke is writing an orderly account of the gospel, isn't he? So that we may have what? Certainty of the things in which we've been taught. Now, what does the gospel concern? The gospel concerns the person and work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, doesn't it? So that is our, uh, our, our central figure here is going to be Jesus and his and his person and work. Now, if we go back to our passage here, uh, some may be tempted to make Gabriel the, the, the central focus. I don't think anyone here is doing that. I don't know of any of you doing that. I don't think you're doing that. But some may be tempted to do that. After all, Gabriel is uh, an amazing angel, is he not? Uh, we may leave here focusing on Gabriel. If we do, we're not focusing on the central character here. We're focusing on a supporting character here. Uh, we may be tempted to uh, focus on Mary. That's a more popular temptation. Um, and it's a very powerful temptation because in, in our weakness and in our sinfulness, we want things that we can hold on to. Um, left to ourselves, we have a tendency to create God in the fashion of ourselves, only just like a super self. You know, God is... Just like us, only he's like a super version of us, you know. And, um, you know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, after they sin in the garden, what do they do? They run for the bushes, don't they? They hear God coming into the garden, and what do they do? They hit the bushes. Um, okay, the unbelieving heart hears God coming, and what does the unbelieving heart do? It runs for the bushes. But the problem is we've been created to worship. So what do we do in the bushes? Well, we worship in the bushes because we can't stop worshiping. We just don't worship God in the bushes. We try to find something that we can, that we can control. Um, we try to find something that's more manageable for us. God's not manageable, is he? All you can do with God is surrender to him. But we don't want to do that in our unbelieving state. So we go to the bushes. And when we go into the bushes, what do we do in the bushes? Well, we turn all these things into gods, you know. We turn in, 
There's no list of the things we could turn into into gods. And this is what the unbelieving heart does. It, it, can, it can set up all kinds of things uh, as gods. And also it can set up things to be mediators between us and God. You know, we can quite easily set up uh, really anything to mediate, to be between us and God, if you will. We could set Mary up to be a mediator between us. Uh, listen, we need to know, and I trust, you know, in the Protestant church, we all understand that's wrong to set Mary up as a mediator between us and Christ or between us and God. We don't pray uh, to Mary. Uh, we don't worship and venerate saints. We don't pray to them. Um, the, the scriptures are really clear that that is not something that's pleasing to God to the contrary. Uh, it's highly displeasing to God. Jesus calls us to come directly to him, doesn't he? He bids us to come directly to him. He never directs us elsewhere. But that having been said, we shouldn't avoid Mary altogether. We shouldn't avoid Mary altogether. She's really lovely, isn't she? You know, in, in the upcoming messages, maybe we'll get time to talk more about that. But man, she believes Gabriel, doesn't she? She's favored in God's eyes. She's a woman of high moral character. And she's teaching us a lot about walking humbly with God here, isn't she? So we don't want to avoid Mary. But very clearly, Mary is not the central focus of our text, is she? Who's the central figure of our text? It's Jesus. Okay, what does Luke want us to know about Jesus? That's the title of this message, in case you're wondering what in the world, what's he going to title this one? It seems all over the place. Well, it's what Luke wants us to know about Jesus. That's the title. What does Luke want us to know about Jesus? Well, verse 32, look with me. He'll be great. He'll be great. That's what was said about John the Baptist, right? He'll be great. You know what's really wonderful here? We have a tendency when the world wants to be great, it typically tries to be great by putting everyone else around them down. You know, I'm going to be great by making all these other people look bad. I'm going to be great by beating all these other people down. I'm going to be great by being better than everybody else. That's not what's going on here. John is someone who's going to be great. Gabriel announces that John will be great. He's going to be great as a front runner. He's the front runner. He's the one that comes before the Lord. But Jesus will be great because he's the one who is to come. You see, his greatness is not at the expense of anyone. Isn't that wonderful? John's birth was miraculous, wasn't it? Like Isaac's birth. Like uh, Samuel. You know, Hannah was barren. Uh, Samson. Uh, but um, Jesus' conception, well, that's one of a kind, isn't it? That's one of a kind. A virgin conception has happened one time in the history of humanity. It will only happen one time in the history of humanity. John's father was Zechariah. Um, Jesus' father is our father who art in heaven. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Let me focus on that for a little bit. Who's John? John, ah, that's Zechariah's boy, isn't it? Yeah, well, what about Jesus? Oh, well, Joseph adopted him. But he's the son of the Most High. 
John inherited original sin from Zechariah, right? We saw Zechariah's, you know, Zechariah sins in the temple, doesn't he? He doesn't believe Gabriel's message. John inherited original sin from his biological father, but Jesus has no biological father to inherit original sin from, does he? He's sinless. Um, John needs redeemed. Jesus is the redeemer. And lastly, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. Jesus will be conceived by the Holy Spirit, huh? You see the difference in that? We learned from last week's message that, from last week's text rather, that John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. But Jesus will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Verse 32, he'll be called son of the Most High. You know, John will serve the Most High. Look ahead with me to verse 76. Take a look ahead to verse 76. You see, John is going to be called what? A prophet of the Most High. John will be a prophet of the Most High. Jesus is the Son of the Most High. Verse 32, the Lord God will give to Jesus the throne of his father David. And this is in fulfillment to the promise God made to David. And we read about it. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 7 this afternoon. Uh, we read about it in, in Psalm 132, verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Jesus is not any king, is he? He's an eternal king. He's an eternal king. Despised by the world. Despised by the world. Why don't people run to Jesus? Why isn't the church full on Sunday morning? It's because Jesus is despised by the world. It's that simple. Don't make it more complicated than it is. People don't like Jesus. That's why. Somebody say, well, it's not I don't like Jesus. Well, what's the indifference all about that? Are we indifferent to people that we like? No. He's despised. You see, the lenses that I've been talking about, I said more about later. We've got to be careful we don't view things the way the world views things. But we're going to miss the real things, aren't we? Jesus is despised by the world. That's why there's all these empty seats in the church today. This is what Luke wants us to know about Jesus, which is the same thing as saying this is what Gabriel wants us to know about Jesus, which is the same thing as saying this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to know about Jesus, which is the same thing as saying this is what the Father wants us to know about Jesus. Did you get all that? Does it make sense? Is it wonderful? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, that you have loved us so very much that you would give us such a great word, such an encouraging word. You would give us the eternal word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And Father, we see his glory. Uh, we see his glory in this text and we see that he is, he is great in every way. But Father, you've, you've revealed his greatness by not taking any greatness away from anything or anyone. Father, it is truly wonderful when we drink from the pages of your holy word. Father, we pray that you will press these things upon our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.